transactions have slowed, and we're at a period now of price discovery as to whether or not prices will fall. What's ironic in that context, however, is that demand on the street for many of the product types is still quite good, especially multifamily, industrial, even the hotel sector, and frankly, retail is picking up again. Hello and welcome to The REIT Report. I'm your host, Sarah Borson-Keto. As we enter the closing months of 2022 and look ahead to 2023, I'm pleased to be joined by Byron Carlock, real estate practice leader at PwC. Byron is here to talk about some of the highlights of of PwC's Emerging Trends in Real Estate 2023 report. Byron, thanks for joining the podcast today. Thank you, Sarah. Glad to be with you. So I wanted to start by asking you about the current economic environment for real estate and how it compares historically, and how optimistic are you that opportunity will balance out uncertainty as you look ahead? Sarah, that's the $64,000 discussion, right? I think what's interesting is this is a sentiment-based survey that started in July, and by the time the survey closed in September, you could see a steady slide down in uh, the um, approaching concerns about 2023. I think we're we're hit with a double whammy, actually. Uh, the increased interest rates and the inflation have really been a shock to developers and to the uh, operating expense line item for owners. And I think that we are seeing a constriction in the credit markets that is slowing down planned development slowing down investment, transactions have slowed, and we're at a period now of price discovery as to whether or not prices will fall. What's ironic in that context, however, is that demand on the street for many of the product types is still quite good, especially multifamily, industrial, even the hotel sector, and frankly, retail is picking up again. So I would say that the sentiment of the survey overall ended up being one of cautious optimism. Last week at the ULI meeting, we discussed a lot about proceeding cautiously, but with more equity, because really this is a debt-driven constriction in the capital markets. There's still plenty of dry powder on the sidelines to be able to transact when pricing is discovered. Great. And one thing the Emerging Trends Report highlights is what you call normalizing. Where is that most evident in commercial real estate today? Normalization is digesting the pandemic and post-pandemic realities that have stuck with us, namely flexibility. So if you think about our pandemic behaviors of working from home, the return to the office has been one of both and, not either or. We're seeing people go to the office around three days a week, two and a half, three days a week with the increased request for uh, continuation of work flexibility and remote work. It's become a pattern in our lifestyles. Oddly, productivity remains high, and so people are changing the way they use their work environment. One of the things we've noticed that's especially interesting is the change of the office layout and the way space is used. There's a battle going on between CFOs that want to cut occupancy costs and HR leadership that wants to use the office as a work environment that enhances the company brand, is an exciting place to gather, and brings people back together. So I think what we're seeing is folks shrinking space in many locations, but changing the way it's used with increased meeting room sizes, better equipment for audiovisual to include remote workers in the conversation, taking down some cubicles and adding living room spaces for collaborative meetings and whiteboard sessions, coffee time together, food time together. 
And so coming into the office is one about cultural inculcation and teaching, mentoring, one-on-one, business planning, strategic planning, training, as opposed to heads down work, which is being allowed to do at home. And people are doing it all at all hours of the day and night. So we are normalizing, if you will, into this new behavior, but have been disrupted by capital markets constriction and a focus on cost containment that is also becoming part of the normalization too. As you mentioned, another theme in the report is capital moving to the sidelines or perhaps other asset classes. How much of a worry is that for commercial real estate? Well, it depends on the demand characteristics of each pocket of opportunity. So many of the alternative spaces, such as data centers, life science centers, self-storage, new types of co-op living, uh, I think I may have said student housing, are also uh, medical office real estate. They're not part of the four major food groups of office, industrial, retail, and multifamily. But you're seeing pockets of need and pockets of demand that need to be served through development or redevelopment of these alternative spaces that are quite uh, popular and needed right now by the using population. We're going through a period of redeciding how we use space. What is our living and working environment? What is our shopping environment between on, on, uh, online and in person? Where do we house our parents as they age? Where do we house students and the changing student populations at our schools? What do we do with grandma's stuff if we look at the growth of self-storage? How do we manage all the data as we look at the growth of data centers? And then the experimentation in medical medical sciences has given a boom to the life sciences specialties, especially in the Boston cluster and the Southern California clusters. Demand is quite high. And then we know what logistics um, and warehouse demand has done as a result not only of online retail, but onshoring of manufacturing components that were in shortage during the pandemic when the supply chain was shut down. So we're rethinking the way we use space in many regards, and there are great pockets of demand that need to be filled, and capital is moving to accommodate those. Great. And what does the Emerging Trends Report indicate will be the the sectors that are most insulated against economic uncertainty as you look ahead? Well, number one was industrial, as fulfillment charges on and momentum really continues uh, in the online retailing space and the onshoring of manufacturing components. Multifamily is two, and that's not just multifamily higher density development, but also build to rent communities. And there's healthy demand. Affordability of home ownership continues to suffer, so we are moving to a greater renter orientation in our population. And then number three, interestingly, is hotels. Uh, leisure has roared back after the pandemic. People are looking for opportunities to have leisure time. And uh, the business travelers beginning to return. So there's a real demand. Many rooms were either taken out of service during the pandemic. Some were converted to apartments and homeless shelters as extreme examples. And there's certainly a demand for hotel rooms. Number four was the single family with a focus on bill to rent. Fifth was retail. And sixth was office. And Byron, to what extent are increased disclosures on ESG topics potentially putting a crimp on commercial real estate's performance? Sarah, the three hot topics were inflation, interest rates, and ESG. And ESG for two different reasons. Number one is it is a keen sensitivity in the eyes of investors and developers and users and investors. So if you think about ESG as a reporting 
requirement. That's a piece of it. People are gearing up to understand how their properties measure up against the Gresby GRI and Well Building Institute standards so that they can be, begin creating their envi environmental reports that will be required as part of their SEC disclosure. But also, there's a consciousness that is causing ESG non-compliant properties to not be as attractive to users and investors and lenders. So the, the push is on and ESG issues will become rating categories for buildings that meet the standards and those that don't. And we'll be forced to look at redevelopment, repurposing of buildings that don't meet those requirements. And it's going to be an opportunity to really reimagine and re-envision our cities. And finally, Byron, what other issues do you see as most impactful on REITs in the year ahead? On the REITs, I think that they're in an actual very good uh, place right now because of the dividends that are being offered. The structure and the, and the dynamic between uh, public real estate companies and private capitalization, private equity ownership of, of those REITs is going to be an interesting and ongoing discussion. I think we're watching a continued delineation between size and those REITs with less float are subject to perhaps being taken private. But the REIT structure is, is a brilliant investment mechanism for uh, pass-through of rental income. And I don't see it um, going away, but I do think there being, I think there will continue to be uh, size thresholds for investment momentum there. Do you see any potential new asset classes joining the REIT model? Well, it's interesting. I think NAREIT today is more non-traditional asset portfolios than, than the traditional ones in the size when you look at cell towers and billboards. And yes, I do think there will be assets that go into the REIT category from life sciences and data centers. And I think that that will only continue. The attractiveness of the structure is what makes the REIT work for investors. And I think we will see that grow across assets that can be formatted into that structure. Byron, great. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Sarah. It's a pleasure to get to talk to you. And to our listeners, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe or leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. Mm -hmm.